Good morning. Thank you for joining us here on Raising Connections. I'm your host, Ray Shan Mayer. This is the program where we talk about all of your critters, companions, commerce, and agriculture. Thank you for joining me. Today, I'm at the International Pet Boarding Services Flow Business Conference. This is a conference that happens annually, and it is where pet professionals gather to discuss the industry, standards, best practices, all of the things that make our pet industry even better. Understanding the veterinary interests, understanding the professional interests, keeping up with the new standards, not only for the industry, but the expectations of pet parents, not only in our own United States, but also internationally. What a meeting to be able to hear what's going on in Brazil, Portugal, Scotland, England, Australia, New Zealand. Understand how we all work together to make the industry better. Today, we'll be talking with Stephanie Shipley, owner of Paw and Order and Higher Paws, a member of International Pet Boarding Services, frequently known as IBSA. This is Stephanie's second career. Her first career was in the hotel and hospitality industry. Stephanie has expanded her business, Paw and Order, from the basement of her home into a full kennel with 80 runs and a staff. She's also the former president of Professional Animal Care Certification Council, known as PAC. Welcome, Stephanie. In your tenure in the pet care industry, you've seen many changes. Can we focus on the past 10 years? So the daycare is the biggest change that you've seen and the changes in those lives and not just the dogs, but also the pet parents. But also the pet parents. So the more societal norm that doggy daycare has become because of the benefits we have some part of. The second I would probably have to say is the industry's acknowledgement of the benefits of enrichment, satiating the mental and emotional needs in addition to just the physical element. You know, we have a bit of a, a bigger responsibility as an industry to satiate not just the physical element, but acknowledge and educate ourselves on the benefits to the dog and their overall well-being as a sentient being by adding the elements that satiate not only the physical, but the emotional and the mental elements of that. And when that satiation happens, this whole new personality can come out. That's right. And they can be themselves. And, you know, we're, we're not trying, where I work, you know, we're not trying to change the dogs. We're trying to help them live comfortably in their own skin and they can, where they can come and safely be a dog and themselves and their own personalities. And we help manage that in a safe environment, but they're allowed to be themselves. And, you know, we, we don't put a, you know, 12 year old lad in with a six month old German Shorter Pointer. The levels of exertion are different. The levels of stamina are different. And the level of socialization between the two of them is very different. Just developmental periods alone, like their needs at those different age groups. Recognizing that, and that I'm proud to work in the industry in a time where we're making that shift where we're like, you know what? We have this responsibility. Now to these animals to enrich their lives in every way, shape, or form possible. One of the big changes for me that's happened, so my background, this is hotel and hospitality. Mine is microbiology and clinical trials. And so the cleaning, when I walk into a kennel and I don't smell pine salt, I cheer. And I think to myself, we've done it. We've moved forward. We're not eating the kennels up with bleach and we're not using pine salt. And we know about paws and feet and we know how these things interact and the training. I can now say standard operating procedure and most of the kennels that I interact with can say, well, yes, we have those. And that SOP, that standard operating procedure, that standardization and the training of the people working with the animals has come so far. Well, here we are as an industry taking, you know, over the past decade, let's say, and a lot of us have gone from 
in the industry, it's shifted from predominantly hobbyists to business professionals. And I think the influx of people who have had professional careers coming into the industry has helped make that change. What Absolutely. do you think? Absolutely. I mean, there was a time, let's say only 15 years ago, where people got into it as a, oh, I love dogs, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to hang out with them all day, never giving a thought to having an SOP, never giving a thought to knowing how to write through the P&L statement, never knowing the difference, what is cash flow, how does it impact your business. So, so now it's a legitimate business with ethics and vision, core values, and things like that as opposed to, I'm going to run this out of my garage, right? And what, absolutely. Out. One of the, or our basements, <laughs> I serve as the AKC delegate for our Carroll Kennel Club in Maryland. And there's this long history with the AKC of breeding kennels and hunting kennels and the correlation between we all have dogs and we all have kennels. And the irony and the blessing that it's the second career professionals who are driving these changes. Right. And the AKC is saying, we are driving these events and we're driving the activities and we have agility and we have fast mm-hmm. and we have all these activities and how the dog daycare component and these activities start going hand in hand. It's really an interesting way to kind of put that together. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you are in an event and you have misbehaving dogs, you have a big issue. You have a problem. The other thing that's amazed me is the level of medical care and the awareness of medical care. 20 years ago, having an emergency room facility was a luxury. Absolutely. And now we have emergency room facilities quite frequently. One of the problems that I'm seeing is the shortage of veterinaries. I can't say really specifically what we can attribute that to, but even where I live, there's a shortage of veterinarians, and the wait list even to get a basic vaccine can be six weeks. It's an extremely emotionally taxing career. Absolutely. One of the top three suicide rates. At the same time, while not to discredit that at all, we also, as an organization and industry, we have to acknowledge that uh, companion animal pet care is not far behind. Absolutely. So while I'm not there euthanizing animals, I do get really attached to these animals that I see once and twice a week that come to me twice a week for 14 years and then they cross the Rainbow Bridge and... Now that we've been in business for 14 years, that's a weekly or monthly occurrence. And the taxing component of that on an individual's emotional well-being. When we get that phone call or that email from our client saying, you know, go bust across the Rainbow Bridge, you know, our team is devastated. Oh, absolutely. There are tears. And sometimes as pet care professionals, people don't see us as having that strong of a bond. Oh, but it's true. But when I look at it, I always say, you know, we're kind of in that triangle of pet care. There's the pet parent, there's a veterinarian, and then there's a pet care professional that's on the companion animal side. Of all of us, who is the best equipped to start recognizing, for example, early signs of a medical issue? And while not a veterinarian, you know, the pet parents have access to the animal, but not the knowledge necessarily. The veterinarian has the knowledge, but not the access. They see them once a year or when the dog is already sick. While we as the pet care professionals see them once or twice a week and have the knowledge or some basic knowledge, at least enough to counsel the pet parent, I think it's time you should go see a vet. I mean, something's off. Not a vet. I don't know what it is. I know this dog, or I know this cat, or I know this rabbit, because I see them a lot. We're starting to 
forge those relationships with veterinarians to start to try to get early diagnosis preventative. Something's off and then all of a sudden all they have a thyroid condition or they have diabetes. And the opposite side, we've put a call network in with our veterinarians locally because if we're seeing it in our facility, they're seeing it in their facility and it's in the community. Absolutely. Because people are social with their dogs. Yes. Not so much with cats, but they're very social with their dogs. Mm-hmm. And so if they're seeing it in one, we're seeing it in another. And the trust and relationships built between the pet care professional community and the veterinaries gives the veterinaries a great place to say, we need to disseminate this information. Absolutely. And let's work together. When I first got certified to become a professional animal care provider, and that allows me maybe a little bit more time with the veterinarians. I have greater access to the veterinarians because they'll have a conversation. I'm like, okay, you know, we have a CIRDC in our community, or we have a canine cop in our community. Now, for our listeners, you have to stop and say CIRDC, professional term. So canine infectious infectious respiratory disease complex. There we go. Okay, so when we partner and get close to our vets, then we have early indicator of when they're seeing it in any type of boarding facility or whatever. Yet that's a whole separate thing. But when I look at it, and when I can get a heads up from, from a local veteran veterinarian that they're starting to see it from dogs that are going on walks or going to dog parks, then I can take even enhanced preventative measures to say it's in the community. It only takes one dog to come in. So let's properly educate our pet parents. Let's retrain all of our staff on proper intake procedures. Let's make and sure that watch for it. That's absolutely just watch for it. Watch for it. Because the outbreak of a canine cop or something that has no indication. It's not an indicating factor on how clean your facility is. You know? It means you have dogs that are breathing. It just takes one dog that could be asymptomatic. One of the most interesting conversations we recently had with the Canine Health Foundation, it truly is, to echo your words, when we have dogs that have been with us for so many years and we saw them come in as these fluff balls mm-hmm. and we've seen the families grow and change and the fluff balls grow and change into full-fledged dogs and then we see them get the gray on the muzzles right. and the limp in the step and, oh, and then we get the phone call. One of the things that we've learned to do is the Canine Health Foundation. Mm-hmm. When one of our dogs passes away, especially if it's from cancer, and the golden population right now has a lot of problems, and well-bred dogs, and dogs in their backyard as well, okay. they just have some problems. The universities have put a lot of time and effort into educating and learning more about these diseases. Yes. And the Canine Health Foundation is a foundation that gives money to the universities to learn more about these diseases, get that information out to the vets. Mm-hmm. The vets can take it through the professionals. The professionals can help disseminate this information right. and oftentimes understand part of what the veterinary is saying. So when the individuals come into the kennel, they're like, what is this stuff they're supposed to do? It's DHLPP. Is that really flu? And is it para-influenza the same as influenza? Right. And we can help fill some of those gaps. We can help educate. And yes. the foundation, when one of our pups passes away, we can give money to the foundation in their name so that the circle keeps going. And we do. We do have an obligation in the pet care industry to be those professionals, right? So I always say, even to my pet parents, I was like, don't feel bad if you didn't know that. That's really not your job. You know, if I was diagnosed with cancer, I don't want to have to go and, or nor am I expected to go and research all of, you know, today's treatments, today's this, that, you know, I depend or rely on my oncologist right. to do that. It's their profession. I seek their wisdom through knowledge and education and all of that. So me as the patient, I'm not expected to know everything there is about all the different types of cancer and all the different types of treatments. There's a specialist for that. And then here we are in this industry now where we have pet care professionals who are the specialists. So we've talked about what the biggest change was from when we started. Mm-hmm. 
What's the biggest change you'd like to see in the next 10 years? Oh, my goodness. That's a hard one. You know what? I, in the next 10 years, are, are you asking me as far as the industry? As far as the industry. Okay. I do have an answer. It is okay. a difficult question, but it's a bit maybe and maybe a bit of a pipe dream. Okay, pipe dreams but can't come true. But I think we're working towards it. I would really like to see our veterinarian community and our pet care professional, companion animal pet care professional community create more synergies, really work together with a mutual level of respect where we see each other as equal contributing partners in pet care toward the life of every single pet. Recognizing that we each have our own lane, but one is not more important than the other, that we just have different areas of expertise. I'm very fortunate because in my area, my veterinarian understands that, and he will say to me, Stephanie, I'm not a trainer. What do you think we should do? And I look at him, and I say, Dr. Barry, I'm not a vet. What do you think we should do? And the two together could be very complementary. Absolutely. Because if the health and the welfare and the medical needs aren't met, they can't absorb the knowledge that they're being offered through training. Right. Beautiful so partnership. I look at that, and I say, you know, my pipe dream is that both are equally respected, both are equally sought after, both have equal types of training, maybe university degree programs, things like that, just different areas of specialty. One is medical, one is non-medical. I was so excited through a series of events. I just want to put this in there because it's one of those things that I can dovetail with what you were saying. It's one of my pipe dreams, the university experience. I was attending the Humans and Horses Research Foundation, which works with the combination of humans and horses and therapies. And SUNY in New York has opened a pilot program for the hospitality industry with animal science degree for the pet care industry. Wonderful. They're piloting it. It may not be a pipe dream. It may become a reality. When you have the opportunity to, to speak with Carmen Rustenbeck from the IBPSA, ask her about the companion animal degree program in her home state of Mexico. And there is a, I believe it's a four-year degree in companion animal. So this is starting to, this is starting it's coming. to come It's starting long. It's a, like when I look at 10 years, it will take us some time to get there. When I look at, you know, a 10-year pipe dream for the industry, when we can really partner and complement each other, right? Up until, I don't want to say up until now because we have made headway, but let's say up until five years ago, you know, people were even boarding in daycare. We were kind of like the peons of the pet care industry, right? Right? We were the people who couldn't make it as vets. Right. And, and that's not true. It is not true. But that's kind of that perception. You're like, well, We've come from other different fields. And, you know, I did my education in something else. It, it doesn't mean I'm an uneducated individual. It simply means I didn't want to be a veterinarian. That, that wasn't my calling. I think my, my calling is in other areas, whether it be an educator over here or whether it be in companion and in care or whatever it happens to be. I didn't want to be a veterinarian. I did up until I was about 10, and then I found out they had to euthanize animals, and I was out. The top 3% of suicide rate. And I have the utmost respect for people who do do that in those times of need when the animal needs you the most. I just knew and know myself that that wasn't me. I also knew that I loved animals and would someday like to work with animals. And then all of a sudden, I fell into this, and I realized, oh my goodness, there is an entire industry and career path. Jennifer Van Gardner Cowboy in the St. Louis area, let me just tell you. She, she started, started at 16. 17 years old. She's been there 22 years. She's the CEO. Like, there is a career in... And we're not talking owner. We're talking CEO. Yes, absolutely. Yes, chief operating she officer. She worked her way there through knowledge and hard work and career pathing. And so now we're becoming this industry that has actual career paths. They're not just go in, take care of the dogs, feed, pee, poop, feed, medicate, get them done right. 
this is a career path for people where they start as a pet care specialist and move to an assistant manager and, and then maybe to a director of operations. And people listening to your radio show right now, are, I would have counted a director of operations. Oh, yes. Because in the past 10 years, we now have operations. That's right. And standard operating procedures and training platforms and education platforms. And we've really come out past, you know, 10 years or so into an industry of professionals and not hobbyists. And I'm not, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying everybody 11 years ago was only quote unquote a hobbyist. I'm just saying, I think the industry has been elevated recently. I absolutely think so. And all those rise together where we started 2009, 2004, and where you are today and where we're going. I'm not so sure that's so much of a pipe dream. It sounds Time it sounds like the uh, trail has been blazed. We just now need to put some pavement down. Absolutely. And I'm happy to get the machine that just rolls over that tire back and forth to try to do what I can to help. And that's what I want to do in this industry is I really simply, along with many other people, with the IBPSA and with PAC and with training facilities and all these organizations that are out there just trying to do the best that they can to try to advance the industry so that it is better for that next generation. It's better for the the people coming into the industry in 10 years from now or even tomorrow. We're going to be watching and listening and seeing. Many of our listeners, I'm sure, will be emailing us at hello at raisingconnections.com. We'll send those off to you, Stephanie. Thank you for joining us here. And where can we get in touch with you if we'd like to know more about you? Well, you can get in touch with me at stephanie at pawandorder.ca or stephanie at higherpaws.ca. I don't have an administrative assistant. I read all of my emails. I answer all of my emails. And I would absolutely love to hear from some of your listeners on what they think about this particular segment and maybe where they see the industry going and, and what their contribution may be and how they may be able to be involved. That would be really exciting. When we return, we'll continue our conversation with Carmen Rustenbeck, who's been involved with nonprofit work for over 20 years in the area of pet care services. Join me, Rayshan Mayer, from Mariah Bellmanor Kennel, for our new adventure, Living Life Tales Up podcast, combining everyday life with what goes on at the kennel and farm, a bit of humor, some ideas, and some positive happy bubbles. We're living tales up, nose down, and staying on track. We hope to see you on Living Life Tales Up for five to ten minutes worth of happy, happy bubbles shooting out there in the atmosphere. See you soon. Carmen Rustebeck is the current CEO of IBSA, International Pet Boarding Services Professionals, and has a 20-year history in nonprofit work geared towards enhancing the standards in the pet care industry. Carmen, thank you for joining us. I'm sure you have lots to say about where we are going and where we've been in the pet care industry. The past 10 to 14 years, your vision started this. What The 60 years of knowledge that went into your brain gave you the starts. You saw a need. You filled the need. You've grown the professionalism. You've brought words to the industry that were not there before. Pet professional, skills. You've changed the trade to an education, a profession, a career path. You've helped everyone understand expectations and how to meet them and given them the tools to meet them. What do you think the next 10 years brings? I think that we're going to see a lot of collaboration with universities in the next 10 years as we 
we encourage them to build a program for our industry at a level where the students not only get business knowledge, but they get marketing knowledge, they even get pet care knowledge and some science behind all of that. I had the most wonderful opportunity to share with Humans and Horses Research Foundation Conference, who helps the therapy horse world work together. SUNY has taken part of that vision and said, we need animal science and we need hospitality put together in a meaningful way in a four-year degree to educate people on this new field of study. Yeah, absolutely. And I think people don't really understand how much pet boarding and daycare facility needs to have a scientific knowledge, understanding infectious disease, understanding animal behavior, understanding when they might have an animal, a pet in their care that's in trouble, understanding how emotionally the pet could be affected if there's something going on in the family. So outside of just, did they get enough rest? Did you check them from snout to tail to make sure they don't have fleas or they don't have a dog bite or something didn't go wrong? Keeping them safe and enriched in the facility. There's all this other science that goes with it that people don't understand happen in the industry. When dog flu came across America, we're talking, which version of dog flu do you have? Right. You know, how do we get that information out? Do you understand all the complications around this new version of dog flu? So all of that science comes into it. Also, we're working with chemicals that used in the wrong way could be harmful to a pet could be harmful to the humans. So now educating, understanding all the harm that can be done if you don't use chemicals correctly, even shampoos and conditioners. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. things that we don't even think about could become harmful to a pet. So understanding that dynamic and being educated on that. So I think in the future, there's a, a real industry that could come out of for the university level where they're putting all this together. And I think it is the next step for IBPSA, our next step now is now we're looking at the people who are trying to exit for many different reasons. Maybe they got in for 10 years and they went out. Maybe they're fourth generation and the next generation doesn't want it. So now they're trying to figure out how do I exit out. So now we're looking at how can we help people who are looking to exit out in the next five to 10 years, maybe the next three years. How can we help them with that exit? Because we've never had the conversation because we're always going to pass it on to our kids. So what happens when your kids don't want it? And as part of a professional planning, that exit planning, one of the other things I found very valuable at this conference, and I hope that our listeners find it valuable, there is an organization, it's IBPSA, that is saying, did you know that this is becoming a problem? Inhaled pneumonia. This is a problem. Have this conversation with your vet. And the veterinarians are here saying, and this is how you have the conversation with us so we can help you not telling this information, tell this information, share this, be part of the profession. Let's all do this together. There's a shortage of veterinaries. There's an abundance of boarding kennels. Let's work together. Pet professionals are really moving forward and they're not trying to overtake, Mm -hmm. but we're trying to educate, acknowledge, work together. When I first came into the industry, it was like, oh, we don't talk to vets. We don't do this. No, 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 no. You need to build relationships with all the vets in your area need to build relationships with pet sitters, with groomers, with trainers, and because you're going to need those people. Absolutely. Get rough. And so once we start building relationships and we start sharing information, then we start building trust. And when we start building trust, 
then now we're forced to be reckoned with in our community, right? So now we become the trusted advisor also. A little bit of numbers. There are thousands and thousands of pet care professionals. Do you have any idea how many could potentially be members of IBPSA? We could potentially have over 100,000 members if everybody jumped on the boat. And of those 100,000 individual businesses uh-huh. or corporate businesses or veterinary businesses or pet sitting businesses or grooming businesses, and the list goes on and on and on, what percentage are members? 1%. So if you are looking for a place to have care provided for your pet and you ask or find out by going to your internet and doing a search through the membership directory, you know that you are dealing with the top 1% of the pet industry. That's right. And I think it's important for the consumers to know that you do never assume, oh, it's regulated. It's not. Colorado's regulated. California has some regulation. There might be little bits of regulation, but overall, there's no regulation where you can just pick up your phone and call the government. So this is why it's very important that if you want your pet boarding and daycare facility to be part of IBPSA, you recommend. Then I would really love for you to join IBPSA. So much so that if you like what IBPSA does, could I be so bold as to say membership in IBPSA is only $300 a year? Maybe you could encourage by buying the membership for your facility because sometimes they don't know what's best for them. But remember, I'm also a consumer of a pet boarding facility. I don't own a pet boarding facility. I run an association. That's what I do. I find a facility for my pet. Carmen, I hope you've built a relationship with so many people here and our listeners. If they want to find out more, where do they contact you? Where do they find out about International Pet Boarding Services? So they would go to IBPSA for International Boarding Pet Services Association. They can find out all the things that we do. They can search our memory directory. And if they want to reach me personally, it's real simple. Carmen at IBPSA.com comes right to me. Nobody catches my email but me. We have been members for a long time. And the one year our membership lapsed, you called and said, why did it lapse? And you called me (laughs) and said, why did it lapse? And we sat there and worked through it. And it was a technical glitch. We couldn't renew because nothing was working. Wonderful organization. Definitely find out about who your pet care professionals are and we're looking forward to getting more membership and seeing what's the next 10 years. Thank you, Carmen, for joining us today. Thank you, our listeners, for taking time out and joining us here on Raising Connections. If you're thinking about opening a kennel, International Pet Boarding Services is definitely a place to take a look. IBPSA.com. Thank you for joining us here on Raising Connections and we'll see you next week.